Good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and find our seats, but don't sit in them. Let's stand up together, and if you're at home, thank you for joining us. We're going to worship the Lord here in just a moment, but before we do, let's hear God's word call us to worship from Psalm 95. It starts like this in verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let's sing to him.
praise your name Risen from the grave Our debt's been paid Lord, praise your name There is no song we could sing To honor the weight of your glory There are no words we could speak To capture the depth of your beauty Jesus, there's no one like you Jesus, we love you, ever adore you There's no one like you Jesus, we love you, ever adore you
sing all we have. These words are true. They're so true, Lord. Lord, and whether we've walked in this morning and we've been singing these songs and we get to the moment where we sing these words and we believe them or not, Lord, they're true. They're true that in Christ, all we have and all we need and all we should want is you. Lord, so I just pray for myself. I pray for those gathered here with us for this service today here in this room or at home or that we would be able to sing these words with faith and maybe we need to sing them and ask you to make them true as we sing them we probably need to do that Lord we, we, we're asking you Lord make it true that all we have is you make it true that all we need is you make it true that all we want is you Lord Lord, in all the places that that's not true in our lives, Lord, we repent of those things. Lord, we ask you, God, to make this true in us. Lord, help us to live in a way that this is true. Not just to believe it mentally, Lord, but to, to walk in it functionally. The fact that there's no one else like you. No one else worthy. No one else worth living for. help us. This is a work that your spirit must do in us. To help us to see Christ. To see his worth. Let's do that. Open our eyes. We pray. We pray this in your name. Amen. Be seated. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you for gathering with us today and welcome to anyone either at home or maybe out of town for Labor Day weekend tuning in online. My name is Evan. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're a first time guest with us, uh, we'd love to give you a gift. And so on your way out, we have a little welcome center to the right, right here. Uh, please stop by there, uh, pick up one of those just a, as a way of us expressing appreciation for you worshiping with us today. 
And if there's any way that we can serve you or any way we can get you in contact with more information about the church here, uh, we'd love to be able to meet you and just find out who you are and, and how we can be of help. Uh, so maybe stick around after the service um, to do that as well. Well, as we uh, transition to a time of giving this morning, you know, we've, we've been talking about what it means for the church to be an alternative community in the midst of the world. Uh, where we serve God's purposes and we also have an influence on the settings around us. And, and the book of Proverbs gives us this beautiful picture of what it means to be a people marked by wisdom, who follow God's ways and what kind of effect that has. And so uh, it, it, Proverbs 11 verse 10 says this, that when, when the righteous prosper, the, the surrounding community experiences God's blessing. It says in Proverbs 11.10, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices because we bring about good works into the city. And, and one of the ways that happens is, is that we view the resources God has given to us as not just belonging to us for our own use, but, but also to, to be given to those around us. And so Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. And you could translate that, uh, to, do not withhold good from your neighbor to whom it is due. And when we treat our neighbor as if he's owed our goods, God promises to treat us as if we are owed his reward. And so one more for, the, for these. Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. We've got different ways to be generous to the poor as a church. And uh, there, there's a, a, a card that you were given on your way in for One Heart NOLA. It's a, a ministry toward uh, foster families and foster children uh, that we partner with, led by uh, Terry and Brian Herboski. And they're going to be collecting uh, items uh, to bring relief to those affected by Hurricane Laura. So if you look in the back of the card, the, 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 the different things that you could donate and, and where to drop them off. But this is a way to, to use our resources God has given to us to provide for the needs of others. Uh, we'll be highlighting on social media in the, in the coming week about uh, New Orleans mission and how God has given us a, a relationship with them and all the good that they're doing in, in the city. But, but just Sunday after Sunday, as you're, as you're faithful uh, to give toward God's kingdom and through the local church, th these are the kinds of impacts that are taking place as we partner with other ministries, as we help to meet needs, as we become aware of them. And, and it comes with the promise of God that it, nothing goes unnoticed. That as you treat other people as if it's almost like they, they have a claim on your goods that God has graciously given you. God says, and, and now I, I, I will owe you. Uh, I, I will be in your debt, so to speak, and I will reward it on the last day. Uh, so let's go to God in, in prayers we give. God, it is amazing and undeserved that you would have done anything for us that we have sung about today, or that you would pour upon us undeserved grace and kindness. God, would we be impacted by your generosity toward us in a way that spills over to be a blessing. God, may it be said in our city and in this nation that when the church prospers, everyone around them is blessed.
because we live righteously toward you and generously toward those in need around us and by faith in your reward. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Different ways that you can give. We've got some offering boxes in the back of the room. You can make use of those either right now or on your way out. And you can give electronically through the the website, through the LCC app. Uh, In the the app store, if you search for Lakeview Christian Center, you'll you'll, you'll see our app show up there. And just it's a way to stay connected to a lot of stuff happening around here. And I'm about to mention a bunch of it. And I'm grateful that there's a lot to announce. But one is that our next Alpha course, uh, an in-person alpha course is going to be starting up soon. It's going to it's going to launch on September 29th at 6:30. Alpha is it's an introduction to some of the basics of what do Christians believe and what do we believe about Jesus and what does it look like to follow Him. And so, uh, it's it's designed for people who might not identify as Christian. It's designed for those who are kind of taking some first steps in in faith, um, and and that's going to be happening. There's a, there's a free meal. This one's going to last for four weeks. Um, but because of some of the COVID restrictions, we're, we're having to limit it to 50 people. And it's going to be just for first-time uh, guests as well as any, any church uh, members who are going to be bringing a guest with them. And it's starting to fill up already. Uh, so you can sign up uh, for that uh, through the app uh, on the Sunday morning tab. You'll see a link to sign up. It's on the website uh, as well. But be praying about who, who's got leading you to, to reach out to and, and invite. And it'll be live streamed as well for those who can't be there um, in person. We're going to be having uh, next Wednesday night, uh, the, the first of a series of prayer gatherings as a church, just recognizing the unique times that we live in. I mean, it ought to be characteristic for the life of the believer and for God's people to, to be a house of prayer uh, for the nations. And yet it's, it's not hard to come up with additional reasons as to why we need this in the days that we're living in, what we're called to right now. And the first one is going to be praying for power, praying uh, for the, the gifts and the enablement of God's spirit. Uh, in the ministry of the church. And I know Pastor Keith will highlight some aspects of that. But uh, it'll, it'll take place in this room with this kind of setup. Um, and so in order to, to be a part, we're asking people to sign up so you can get your seat. Same kind of process for Sunday morning. So again, in the LCC app, you'll see where, uh, where you can do that also. And then uh, men's prayer. Lester Coe wanted to make sure that we, we made mention of that. Uh, this Friday at 6.30 in the morning, that's going to be taking place again. And then uh, starting this Wednesday at 10, our Women of the Word Bible study is, is re-engaging. Uh, I, I told, told Miss Anna in the first service and surprised we were able to keep her away from teaching for this long. She just does an excellent job serving the ladies and they'll be back in their, in their study of, of the book of Genesis. Um, and then just a, a few families that are walking through a time of loss um, one one uh, loss that the entire church will be impacted by is Miss Thelma Gorondona went home to be with the Lord at age 101. My entire experience in in this church from from birth has been uh, having Miss Thelma's influence and example and prayers and godly character, and so uh, she just leaves behind a legacy. And I don't know who is going to fill uh, her shoes uh, in in the life of this 
church, but obviously significant loss for uh, her family as well. So be praying for uh, Renee and for Hope and for uh, Miss Thelma's grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And, and we'll make you aware of any service information that we have when we do. Uh, and then also for, for Jim Woodall, uh, who's lost his mom, Miss Stennis Woodall. Uh, so prayers for Jim and for Vicki and uh, for the Boyd family as well. All right, Pastor Keith, bring us the word. Good morning, all of you locals who stayed in town for Labor Day, and some of you guys joining us for the first time, some of your your children have grown, they look like they're much older than they were the last time we saw them, but so glad to have you back with us. Uh, Greetings to all you guys who are, as Evan said, at home or maybe traveling uh, this weekend. Great to have you with us this morning. Um... I never want to miss a chance to plug an opportunity for a prayer meeting because I agree with the old ancient saints who will tell you there's probably not anything harder to do as a Christian than pray. And if you've tried to have a prayer life, you know, praying's hard business, man. And, and yet one of the things that Evan just quoted is a reality about our lives that just has to find its place back into the realities of the church. Uh, you know, Jesus moment of intensity in the temple is when he sees the temple turned into something else rather than a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And there's something about God bringing his redemptive grace into this world, this nation's through prayer. And so uh, my hope is that in these prayer meetings, these are, these are meetings intentionally called for the times in which we're living. We are living in times that need the church to be the church in so many ways. But there's no greater place that we start than before the throne of God, calling out to God in prayer. So I want to ask for a show of hands for those of you who've been in the kingdom of God for a while. How many prayer meetings, if you had to list on both hands, how many prayer meetings have you been to in your life? A lot of us have been to Sunday service in our life, but how many prayer meetings have you been to in your life? It's a big, major component to who we are in the kingdom of God is we we pray. And so please mark your calendar. Uh, The intention, I'm going to model the prayers a little bit out of Jesus' admonition to his disciples on the night of Gethsemane's prayers. You know, could you not pray with me for an hour? Uh, So we're going to seek to pray together for an hour. And so we're going to be done right about 8.15 with those prayer times. But but today's topic is relevant. Uh, We're going to be talking about the gifts that Paul is highlighting in 1 Corinthians 14. And uh, I had a a great question walking in this morning. One of the guys was standing in the forum and I think he said something like, so where are you going this morning? Uh, Which is kind of a fun thing to interact with. Uh, And and here was my defensive posture was, Going wherever the Apostle Paul goes in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And that's important that you know, at least that's my intention. Uh, whether I arrive there or not is another question. You know, where are we going with the things we talk about? Well, hopefully we're just going wherever this takes us, right? And what's interesting in this moment, I, I just can't get over when I read Corinthians, the amount of ink the Apostle Paul devotes to certain things. 
Right, so I'm aware, the Apostle Paul would have been aware, I'm aware there's a lot of things going on right now. You're walking in here right now. It's stuff in your world and stuff in your life and stuff on the scene of doing life today in the year 2020, this bizarre year, right? And, and part of me as a pastor wants to jump into those things. I want to jump into those thoughts. I want to engage those things. I want to say, what, what does the Bible say about some of these moments that we're living in? Uh, Paul had noisy things going on in his world too. Matter of fact, there's so much similarity. I don't, we don't know history well enough to know. There's so much similar problems in the first century that the church was navigating its way through, right? I, I mentioned in the first service, this year didn't introduce us to this word, but it, it's got us more familiar with the word systemic racism, Right? The idea that there could be systems and structures in place in society that don't treat everybody the same, that make room for some differently than the way in which they make room for others. Uh, well, that, that's, that's a problem. We, we see that in our culture. And, and you know, people agree on different levels and understandings of it. But let me just pull you back into the first century. In the first century, the Roman world where the church is getting launched... Uh, systemic structural systems were in place and there was no challenging them. There was no apology for them. You were assigned a place, a class in society. And it wasn't based on race so much as it was just based on your connections, your birthrights, whether you were a Roman citizen or not, whether you were a, a captured person who became a slave or you descended from slaves. But you were going to be assigned a place in life and Rome made no apology that you will never have the opportunities this one has. And you will live beneath this. And it would be out of line for you to expect you would be treated a certain way. And this is everywhere in the Roman Empire. And there's massive mistreatment of people taking place. Now, I don't say that to make those issues ignorable. I say that to say Paul chose to write three chapters to the Corinthians on spiritual gifts. Paul, you paying attention to everything going on around you in the world that you're living in? There's a lot of noise and there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of people issues going on. And you're going to take all this time to, in detail today, spell out the nuances of speaking in tongues and prophesying? Yes, that's exactly what he's going to do. And the Holy Spirit is behind that to give us this revelation into our day. So... So, you know, some of you guys, I don't know where you'd be coming from when you get to this topic of, of, yeah, spiritual gifts. And then you get narrowed into categories like, you know, speaking in tongues and prophesying, which we'll be in this week and next week. But there's an urgency behind these gifts, right? I spent some time last week and the week before trying to make us aware of the urgency. These are last days equipment and tools and empowerments. As though God knew there's going to be a section of my people who don't live in the Old Testament. They live in the end times when what they're going to need is going to take the spirit of God to interact with every individual believer in powerful, influential ways. And they're going to need to pick these tools up and use them in their lives because their day is going to be prolifically evil and opposed and challenging. But yet my kingdom is still to come and it's to advance in that setting. And they're going to need to be built up by everything that I make available to them. And that's what brings us to chapter 14, right? God is seeking to build us up with these gifts. So today, 
Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's hear from the Apostle Paul as he really, he is seeking to adjust issues and problems in Corinth. And as he does it, we're going to learn so much about these gifts as a byproduct of that. Right now, we kind of have the, the, the Corinthians to thank for a bunch of things that you realize there's some things that Paul addresses in detail with the Corinthians that we wouldn't really have much of outside of this letter. But if you know the Corinthians, you know, it's because they're in trouble all over the place. We have all kinds of revelation because these guys were in trouble. They were constantly coloring outside the lines in all kinds of categories. And I guess maybe that's kind of us as well in some ways, right? All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm just going to let us pick some of the statements pertaining. I want to talk about tongues this week. I'm, the message is titled, The Clarity and Mystery of the Gift of Tongues. I'll talk about the, the gift of tongues today and then the gift of prophecy next week that are both embedded in these, these chapters. But I'm just going to visit the, the statements that are primarily explaining to us something about the gift of tongues this morning. So we just at least can get that accurate from the scriptures, no matter where we've been coming from. So let's start in verse 1. Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Right, let me just take these things apart as we just kind of move through them. Now, the reason why you're getting this is because this is a church that didn't practice enough prophecy and practice too much speaking in tongues. So Paul's trying to say, hey, if, if we're going to feature something here, can we kind of tilt the scales in the other direction from where you guys are at? You guys have this overemphasis on tongues and it's underemphasis on prophecy. You need to emphasize prophecy more and tongues less. So, so both of them are going to come up and the helpful clarifiers are here. The one who speaks in a tongue speaks, listen, not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. All right, so there's, there's some unpacking here, right? What's going on when somebody is speaking in tongues in the New Testament and today? Um, well, according to this passage, they are speaking not to men, but to God. Right? So this is the direction of tongues. But then we're going to learn also that they are speaking mysteries, so we don't really know what they're saying to God, unless there is an interpretation, and a gift of interpretation is given in a meeting or a gathering like this. For that to benefit anybody, you'd have to know what was being said. And clearly, so this is what's being taught about this gift. It is communicating something. It is a language and its content is directed toward God. It's not directed toward us. All right? Now, I know a lot of different backgrounds. So maybe some of us have come from Pentecostal charismatic churches where we probably learned to practice the gift before we learned to study it. 
So today we're going to study it, and it might fix some of our practices. It should in some ways if we've been a little out of bounds. But all right, let, let me talk a little bit as well, though, about the content. What is in this mysterious gift? What's being said that either could be interpreted or is to be left uninterpreted, but we're at least informed about what this content is? Well, in this verse, we're speaking mysteries, but there's content in these mysteries, right? Verse 15, Paul's going to let us in a little bit of this mysterious content. He says, what am I to do? He says, well, I'll pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. So tongues is a form of prayer. I'm praying with my spirit. I will sing praise with my spirit and I will sing with my mind also, right? So what we were doing and Eric was leading us in words and Paul was leading us in this morning, we were singing words with our minds, right? We know the language here. We know the content. We know what it means. And we were singing praise to God. But Paul says that's also happening when we pray in a tongue and we sing in a tongue to God. We're singing praise. So we get introduced to the content. What is, what's going on in this mystery? Prayer is going on and praise is going on. Verse 16, he says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So now we get a little bit of behind the scenes revelation. The content that's going to God is prayer, praise, or thanksgiving. Right? So this is the content of what God is hearing in this exchange. Right. A couple more passages that help us with some content. Acts chapter 2, verse 11, has that moment of Pentecost. The Spirit has come and fallen upon the, the disciples in the upper room. They've come out into the streets and they are speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So, when they overheard languages that they knew in this moment, the content that was going up was an extolling of the mighty deeds of God. God has done great things. So they were telling back to God these great things that God had done. This is another place that gives us some content awareness. Acts chapter 10. And this really helps us understand the nature of this gift. Acts chapter 10 is the gospel going to the Gentile world, right? The apostle Peter has received the revelation and he's to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles and God is sending him to a household of a man named Cornelius. Now, when he gets there, Cornelius gathers his household. Remember the household, a Roman household would have had multiple generations in it. It would have had uh, slaves and freedmen who all lived there on the grounds. So this could have been 20, 30 people gathered together when the apostle Peter arrives and Peter's agenda is to preach the gospel to them. All right. And that's what Peter did on the day of Pentecost as well. Here's where we pick it up in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, right? So Peter's already been preaching the gospel to them. The Holy spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out, right? That's that Joel equation. God is pouring out his spirit now. The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues 
and extolling God. All right, so if I'm, I'm reading the Bible here, I'm learning something about there's moments in which the Holy Spirit can come to people with such influence and force that their life will actually be affected and manifest something. In other places, they, they manifested prophetic words. In this moment, they spoke in tongues and they were extolling God. Again, tongues is heavenward expression of the great things and the praise and the prayer that goes to God. But notice something here, very important in trying to understand what is this gift of tongues all about? Why is it in the scriptures? All right. If you, notice this, you can put your foot in Acts chapter two and say, Acts chapter two is going to tell me why the gift of tongues exists. Or you can put your foot in first Corinthians chapter 14 and you say, first Corinthians 14 is going to tell me why tongues exists. I would say, put your foot in first Corinthians 14. Cause if you put your foot in Acts chapter two, you're going to get what I think is an anomaly. It is the gift of tongues, but it's an unusual, not repeated again event. It is the inaugural coming of the Holy Spirit that was manifest in languages known by an audience. Right? The day that Pentecost occurs, you know, Pentecost in Jerusalem was like Jazz Fest in New Orleans. It's a massive festival where people came from all over the world to participate in Pentecost. So you had people who spoke languages who had traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles to come to Jerusalem. They spoke different languages. In this moment, they're in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and settles on these, these individuals. And they just begin to manifest something. Nobody told them to do this. This wasn't scripted. They begin to speak in tongues. They go outside into the streets. Other people are hearing them speaking in tongues. When you hear Paul take up the gift of tongues into the first Corinthians, he would not have told them to do any of that, right? There's regulations and we're going to discover in first Corinthians chapter 14. There's things you do with the gift of tongues and there's things you don't do with the gift of tongues. This would be one of the things you don't do with it. <laughs> you don't walk out of the meeting into the public square speaking in tongues, Paul's going to tell the Corinthians how to do church together. And there's a use of that gift. And he's going to tell them, you guys shouldn't be speaking in tongues to each other unless there's an interpretation, much less go out into the world, just into any place where he's going to qualify and say, they're going to think you're nuts. Y'all go to Winn-Dixie on your way home today. Just walk in, start speaking in tongues. Who knows? You might be by accident preaching the gospel in a language that some foreigner happens to be in the produce section and overhears you and you're speaking Armenian and he's from Armenia and he's going to hear the gospel from you. That's using Acts chapter two as your cornerstone for why the gift of tongues exists. But when we get to Acts chapter 10 and we go into Cornelius household, this is not an international gathering. This is a man's household. They all speak the same language. There's no need for the Holy Spirit to fall on this gathering so that the gospel can be understood in foreign languages. That's not the setting in Cornelius's house. They all talk to each other. They know what you're saying. Just speak to them. Well, that's what Peter does, right? He shows up. And he speaks the gospel to them. They already are hearing the gospel. But then the spirit falls on those who have believed. 
and they receive the manifestation of the spirit in speaking in tongues and they begin to extol the great things of God. So if, I, if I'm looking at these again, I'm just letting the Bible say what it's saying and not imposing some view on it. Acts chapter two does, is not an evangelistic event where the Holy Spirit came in some unusual way so that the gospel could be preached to people who don't speak the language of the day and they're going to hear the gospel through that. Can you imagine how complicated using the gift of tongues would be in that manner? Because it clearly says you don't know what you're saying. So what did I just say? Did I just take you back to the Garden of Eden and explain to you how the fall occurred and how all of humanity now needs to be redeemed and fall, come back to God? And then the next thing I say in tongues that I don't understand is explaining to you how the cross is God's means of reconciling a fallen world to himself. And then I'm going to speak in some more words that I don't understand. But the next part of what I don't understand is actually saying, here's how you respond to the gospel. It's like, that's, that seems very awkward and not what the gift of tongues is about. Because in every setting where the gift of tongues could be interpreted that way, the gospel gets clearly preached in a known language by a person who is knowingly explaining the gospel to those. So I, I don't think tongues was ever meant to be an international means of explaining the gospel to the world. But it was to be used to extol the great things of God in a language that the individual did not understand and did not know. But it's not speaking to this group, it's speaking to God, right? So if you've been around the Pentecostal world, um, you'd be familiar with what Sam Storms is identifying in his book. Again, I highly recommend Sam's new book, The Language of Heaven. Uh, helpful, helpful read if you want to understand more about the gift of tongues. He says, it's quite common in charismatic churches for people to make use of tongues as a way of communicating horizontally a message to other Christians. One will often hear of a, quote, message in tongues that came during the course of a meeting. But thus far, it seems from what we've seen in Acts and 1 Corinthians that tongues is likely always either prayer, praise, or thanksgiving, and, and that to God, right? So I grew up in church. Well, by the time I, I didn't grow up in church, by the time I came to church uh, in a Pentecostal setting, it was not unusual to have someone give a, a message or a word in tongues. And then the interpretation that was given publicly would sound like, my children, my children, I love you. I want this. All right. That's not Godward, right? That's manward. That's God speaking to us. That's what prophetic words do. Prophetic words bring God's right now insight and interaction with us into our moment. Tongues goes to God. God tongues is us or us individually speaking to God of his great things and giving thanksgiving to him and prayer and praise going to God. So if one were to interpret tongues, if one had the gift of interpretation, what would that interpretation more than likely sound like? Well, probably wouldn't sound like my children, my children. I want you to know this. I want you to do that. It probably would sound like a prayer, a praise to God, an extolling of God's greatness, a rehearsing of all the great and incredible things that God has done and a giving of thanks to him. It would probably sound like that, right? 
Sam Storm goes on and says, perhaps the first thing to be noted is that since tongues is a form of prayer and praise, we should expect it to strengthen the believer in much the same way prayer and praise in one's native tongue regularly does. When I pray in English, I'm greatly encouraged to know that my deepest desires and fears and needs and hopes are being communicated to God. This is no less the case when I pray in tongues. My confidence rests in the reality of the Spirit's work in making known to the Father precisely what my heart feels and longs for. Right? So the Bible's going to tell us that this is happening. And at the same time, it's going to tell you that you don't understand anything that you just said. Right? So it says in verse 2 that we don't understand that we are speaking mysteries. Right? So Paul's going to unpack that a little bit further right in this chapter. Verse 6. Paul makes it abundantly clear. You don't understand what you're saying. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played, right? You can't name that tune if I'm just randomly playing a bunch of notes. To know the song, you got to know the notes have order. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Right? You know to charge and pick up your sword and run into battle because there's a specific song you play on the bugle. You learn that song in the same way you learn a language. And when that song gets played and you hear it, you know how to understand what, what to do right now. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for the manifestation of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, he who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So that means that according to the Bible, there's something valuable that seems to step around your cognitive function in this moment. Because it is saying this is valuable, but it's also coming right out and saying, but you don't understand anything you're saying. So the value of it isn't in your understanding. The value of it isn't in that, ah, that imparted a new insight. That's what teaching does. That's what revelation does. That's what a prophetic word will do. But that's not what tongues is going to do. Tongues is going to build us up, but it's not going to use cognitive measures to do that. Look in verse 4 of chapter 14. Paul says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. The one who prophesies builds up the church. Now remember, this is Paul's setting. He's trying to correct a meeting like this. But he says something here that's helpful for us to know. Did you know that the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself? There's something about the gift of tongues that brings a building up of our lives personally. Now, depending on what your background is, if you've been in a setting where folks have observed the abuses that do take place in these categories and they have sought to fix those abuses, sometimes the, what I'll call an overcorrection takes place. And so you read that verse and you say, see, tongues, I mean, that just builds you up. That's all that does. 
And you present it that way with a little bit of an edge on it that says, so anybody who, you know, makes use of the gift of tongues, that's pretty selfish, don't you think? Because it just builds you up, doesn't build up everybody else. That's kind of selfish. All right, that would be a way of reading this. I think it would be a very wrong way of reading this. I don't think that's what Paul's trying to say. I don't think God includes the gift of tongues in a list of spirit-given manifestations so that he can come along and say, yeah, this one I gave you right here, it's so selfish. (laughs) You are so selfish when you use this. And did you know that the Bible doesn't mind that you get built up or seek being built up, right? When you pray in a known language to God and it strengthens and invigorates your faith and builds you up, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that a selfish thing? Right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you sit down with your Bible, is it your goal that, that reading this Bible is going to build you up? Is that your goal? You selfish Christian, you? I'm sorry. No, you're not selfish for that, right? That's a good thing that you sit down with this. Nobody else is in the room with you. There's no, no other exchange going on. It's just you and the spirit of God with the Bible. And the Bible is going to impart something to you, an awareness, revelation, knowledge that you need that's going to build you up. We're called to be in fellowship with one another, that we might build one another up. That means I'm going to be giving something to you that builds you up, but I'm coming here to get something too. I'm, I'm seeking to get encouraged and strengthened. So, so being built up is it's not a curse word. That's not a bad thing. And, and if you've been in, in any kind of a setting that's made tongues to be characterized under this shadow of selfishness, okay, listen, that's an extra biblical thought. Somebody installed that, but they didn't get it from the Bible. Right, Because this is something that does build us up. So then Paul goes on in verse 5. Paul, how do you feel about this gift? Is what I feel he's answering here. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. And even more than that, I want you to prophesy. All right, Paul, do you want us to speak in tongues or not? I just said I did. I want you all to speak in tongues tongues. All right. So it might be helpful for us to get from the horse's mouth here, from Paul himself. Paul, how do you feel about this gift? What's your feelings about the gift of tongues that you're taking so long to tell us some things about? Well, if we backed up into chapter 12, when Paul introduces us to these these gifts of the spirit, he, he calls all of them, including tongues, he calls them a manifestation of the spirit. And he says that we are empowered by the Spirit for this to take place. So when there is an activity in Corinth or today, when someone is speaking in tongues, regardless of whatever we have been taught to feel about that, the Apostle Paul says, you know what's behind that? The Holy Spirit. That's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit and an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul would explain to us. And Paul would use another phrase that I think is a helpful phrase in chapter 12. In verse 10, he says, there are, quote, various kinds of tongues. Paul, various kinds of tongues? Can you help us with that? What exactly does it mean that there are various kinds of tongues? Well, he doesn't unpack that. He does come back behind it a little bit later in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, when he's talking about showing you yet a more excellent way. And he says, you know, in relation to all these gifts, if I speak with the tongues of angels or of men, and I have not love, I'm just a noisy gong, right? Okay, so is that Paul's explanation for the various kinds of tongues? Paul, are you, are you telling us that there's tongues of men 
and tongues of angels? Well, we do know the angels communicate. Right? We do know that they, they interact with God. I mean, we have recorded things in which the, the angels have been told things. The angels are singing before God. The angels uh, get questioned by God when they come to stand before his throne. Did you think they were speaking English? Anybody? I mean, it was a long time before English came around, right? What were they speaking? When the, when the angels sang as God created everything, right? And we get this story about the angels singing to God, right? Uh, Adam and Eve aren't around yet. There are no human languages. What language are they speaking? I guess they could be speaking the tongues of angels. I guess, right? And so if God enables an ability to speak a language that could be known, like Acts chapter 2, or may not be known by any human being, maybe an angelic, language. It may be just some form of communication God gives to the individual. We don't know a lot of the details here, but I think it's helpful for us to see that, that there's, there's some allowance in this language here. Paul's going to reveal something about his personal practice in verse 14. He says, if, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do then? I will pray with my spirit but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So this is the apostle Paul, I think revealing, this is how he manages this gift. He recognizes this gift is unintelligible to me. So when there's no interpretation, I don't know what I'm saying. So part of the time that I pray to God, I pray unintelligibly. And part of the time I pray to God, I pray intelligibly. Part of the time I sing to God, I sing unintelligibly. And part of the time I sing to God, I sing and I know exactly what I'm singing. This is Paul reporting on his own life, right? Verse 18, he says, I thank God that I, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. All right, so Paul's gonna show up into a meeting, and he's going to use the gifts that he's got, right? When we come together, we use the gifts that God's given us. Well, Paul's an apostle, so he's going to use the gift of his apostleship. He's a teacher and a communicator of God's word, so he's going to teach and communicate. And he says, you know, I'd rather speak just five words using those gifts than 10,000 words in a tongue with you. So Paul, when are you uh, speaking these words if you're not speaking them with us? If you're not going 10,000 words on us and you speak in tongues more than all of us, where are you doing that, Paul? Are you getting a little bit of a peek into the window of Paul's life? Paul must be doing this when he's not with you, when he's in private. When he goes into his prayer closet, he sees a great use for the gift of tongues that he just described as speaking unintelligibly and singing unintelligibly to God. And I do that. And I do that more than you all. So how did Paul feel about this gift? Well, I, I think he practiced the use of this gift in private as this is highlighting its, its most predominant place, I think the scriptures would be saying this gift would be used because it, it doesn't serve and let, without an interpretation to build up others, but it does build up yourself when you pray privately. Sam Storms says this about Paul. He says, let's remember this is the man who wrote Romans. This is the man whose 
incomparable mind and power of logical argumentation rendered helpless his theological opponents. This is the man who is known to history as the greatest theologian outside of Jesus himself. Yes, logical, reasonable, highly educated, Paul prayed in tongues more than anyone. I think that's a helpful thing to keep in mind, right? Because we live in a day that could have handed over the gift of tongues to, you know, oh, kooky Joe over there who just shows up in our meeting. You know, he's, you know, he's kind of a holy roller, half homeless looking guy. You kind of expect weird stuff from Joe, you know? But those of us who have read a few books and have been a little more educated and we've got a little bit more training under our belts, uh, couldn't put a patch on the Apostle Paul who spoke in tongues more than all of us. Right, so I, I think I need an adjustment in, the, in my ability to receive what Paul says about this gift than perhaps what I have been exposed to or have sought to avoid or have had others teach me about. I think the Apostle Paul doesn't denigrate this gift. I think he promotes this gift. And then he says something that a lot of modern churches who do practice the gifts uh, seem to not embrace. In verse 27, meeting is happening. The Corinthians are overusing this one gift at the expense of other gifts being used. Their gathering could just be filled with one person after another, after another, after another, after another, speaking in tongues and speaking in tongues. And nobody's really seemed to be interpreting some of these tongues, just more and more words. Nobody knows what's happening here. But that was a great meeting for the Corinthians. And Paul turns around and says, hey, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. what What a very orderly thing the Apostle Paul expects a church to be able to walk out as it functions in this gift. This is not some out of control moment. This is not some place in which the Spirit has so moved one of us that we can't help ourselves. We just have to say this. I just have to shout it out in tongues. I just can't stop it. Uh, that doesn't sound like what Paul's describing. Paul's describing the fact that you have such a state of mind about you that you're able to notice that there's been two. Now there's been a third one. Keep it to yourself now. You're in the moment there, right? And Paul doesn't mind any leader who's leading that meeting telling the person who says, oh, but I got a word. Yeah, but you'd be number four and we're gonna move on to some other things right now. And that they'd be right to do that. They would not be quenching the spirit. They would be leading that meeting according to the convictions that Paul seems to have in this passage. See, what the Corinthians had done, they had quenched other gifts by only letting one gift be so featured and predominant. And Paul's trying to say, hey, there's other gifts like prophecy. It'd be more valuable for you guys to prophesy because everybody gets something from that. and Everybody hears and listens and benefits. But there's other gifts like teaching and revelation and a song that you all know. When you come together, let all these things be done and let it be done in order. So I think it's important because sometimes there's, there's this sense that, you know, that charismatic world and speaking in tongues, you know, I guess it's, it looks like a National Geographic movie of somebody who went into a jungle and there's people with their eyes rolling back in their heads and they're speaking gibberish and they're out of control. Uh, no, no, that's not what this looks like, right? You are very under control. You're able to be quiet. 
You're able to follow instructions. No matter how urgent this thing seems to be sitting in you, we'll see prophecy is the same way. So Sam Storm's very helpful thought. He says, any suggestion that speaking in tongues entails an experience of mental detachment, wherein a person becomes unaware of her surroundings and in varying degrees oblivious to sight or sound, is not biblical. Nowhere in the New Testament is speaking in tongues associated with trances or uncontrolled frenzy or any such state of mind and spirit. Right? Now, for some, that's, that's just good news that might give me a little bit of permission to venture into the water, right? Because <laughs> all I've ever been exposed to has been some unusual use of this gift. Uh, well, unfortunately, that's not been good exposure for you. This is a more biblical view from Paul. Let me just give you this last summary thoughts on the gift of tongues, right? Here's just what we've picked up, just been looking at these passages in chapter 14. First, tongues is a manifestation of the spirit that is included in the last day's outpouring of the spirit on the church. So this is not just for Paul's day. It is for the last days. Tongues is a more commonly discussed or experienced gift than most other gifts in the New Testament, except for prophecy, I would say. So the volume that we have written in the book of Acts and by Paul in Corinthians gives us more information about tongues than just about anything else besides prophecy. We have very little on the gift of healing. How do you use it? When do you use it? When do you not? How does it function? How do you receive a gift of healing? On a word of knowledge. What exactly is that anyway? A word of knowledge and how do you do that? And what's the regulations on that? You have more on the gift of tongues and on prophecy than just about anything else. And when the spirit spontaneously showed up in settings and and imparted something to them, the most common experiences that they would have would have been speaking in tongues or prophesying and extolling the great things of God. So that's why I say it's a common experience in the New Testament. The Corinthians were placing an overemphasis on this gift and were using the gift inappropriately, thus the corrective tone of Paul's discussion of tongues. Tongues is described as an actual language, either a known earthly language in Acts 2 or an undefined language in other places that may be either earthly or heavenly, and it conveys actual content that is spoken to God. When God hears the noise coming from us, it is communicating something he actually understands and receives. Tongues is akin to prayer that contains elements of praise, thanksgiving, and extolling the great things of God. Tongues has a public dimension, and it has a private dimension. Tongues is only for the corporate gathering when accompanied by an interpretation. The more common and frequent use of the gift seems to be in private as part of one's devotional and prayer life. Tongues provides meaningful upbuilding, though it does so in a mysterious way. And lastly, tongues should be earnestly desired, but all may not receive the gift. Paul clearly says in the end of Acts chapter 12, are all prophets, are all apostles, do all have gifts of healing, do all do miracles? No. Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. So on the one hand, we're told to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And I would make a case, again, just from observation, not trying to write this into a law, that tongues 
would be a common gift. Whereas I think miracles or healings might be less common of a gift. Although I don't have strong evidence to tell you that that's absolutely what the scriptures say. But, but tongues, I think, would be a more common and it's in its private dimension that brings a personal building up, I think, would make it a much more common thing to be pursued. But Paul comes right out and says, but not everybody has it. So if you're one of those people, and I hope you are a person who says, well, I want everything God has for me. So I'm, I'm, I desire that gift. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I've desired that gift for years, but I just have never had it. I've never spoken in tongues. Well, there may be reasons for that. And one of them could be, well, that's not the gift that God's going to be giving you. That's possible. But I still think we're called to earnestly desire. But let me spend a few minutes before we close today just introducing us to the world of mystery. Right? This is how Paul gets into this. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. No one understands him. No one understands, including himself. He utters mysteries. In the spirit. Did you know there was such a thing as mysteries in the spirit? Things that go beyond human explanation, human language, human thought process. There are such a thing as mysteries in the spirit. Things that God must take special activity to awaken us to or to impart to us. All right, so you and I learn a lot in our lives, right? We, we come across things, we're trained, we go to school, and we learn to process information in our cognitive way, right? So we, we've got history that we've learned, and you learn math and science along the way, and you, you've got mental capacity to do that as a process that we go through to get well-educated, but God then says that there is a realm of mystery that he is able to impart something to us that's beyond that, that's different than that, that functions and you interact with it a little bit differently, right? And if you're, if you're not looking for this, there's a whole realm of mystery you will never seek to engage as a Christian, and you should, right? I'm, I'm gonna read from Isaiah 55 in just a second. Remember something with me. When man fell, Right? You, you have this creative moment where God creates man and breathes into him his own life and the breath of life. And there is this connection now between God and man that's unique. It's never again existed since the Garden of Eden, by the way. But it was there in the beginning. And then sin came in. And God said, the, the day that you eat of this tree, you will die. You will lose that connection with me. You'll still exist, your heart will still beat, but that aspect of who you are will not be connected to me. You will now learn from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what you're going to learn from now. Somewhere along the way, God is re-engaging us. When he gives us the Holy Spirit, right? When Jesus breathed on his disciples in John chapter 20, he was giving them the Spirit. That spirit brings something back that was lost here. But it's almost like recovering from neurological damage. The, the neurology has been so damaged that even though this is in you, you can't seem to tell your arm to lift and do something. You go through years and months or whatever of therapy 
to retrain you to do that because there's this disconnect, this neurological disconnect between what's in you and it's functioning. And I think this is very much what you see in, in how we feel like so much of this stuff is just kind of like just disconnected from me. I, mean, I just don't get this part of the spirit. I see it. Yeah, Keith, I see that in the Bible. I just don't experience that. All right, well, fallen world, fallen creatures on our way to perfect union with God. We have received the spirit who is now thera- you know, doing therapy on the neurology of our broken lives, right? So listen to this invitation in Isaiah 55. God says, incline your ear <clears throat> and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. So there's an invitation from God that he wants to get near to our soul. And there's a, there's a coming to him, right? Well, the omnipresent God just mysteriously said, yeah, I'm everywhere, but in this invitation, I'm more here than I am over there, right? That's mysterious. I don't get all that. Seek the Lord, verse six says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Wait, so does that mean God sometimes can't be found? Does that sometimes mean God is nearer than in other times? Yeah, that's what that means. Verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So you have a God who says, come to me, incline your ear, but be aware that the moment you lean in, there is this difference between us, this mystery. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. All right, so we need some help in bridging this divide. And that help comes by the Spirit, and it's loaded with mystery. And you have to ask yourself, are you willing to let some things be mysterious? Are you willing to let the Holy Spirit interact with you in a way that that feels different than your math book or your history book did? And God would impart something in these moments. And there would be an exchange between us and God that's got some mystery in it, right? I wrote this in your outlines, humbling and sobering. Spiritual gifts involve mystery. But so does a spiritual encounter with knowledge. What a massive mistake is made when you begin to think that the knowledge of God is just like the knowledge of math or science or history. So listen to the Apostle Paul, the same one who's going to tell you about speaking in tongues, is going to tell you about the mystery of knowing God in chapter 2 of the same book of 1 Corinthians. Listen carefully, verse 7. Paul says, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. None of the rulers did. None of the people with power and influence and intelligence, the ones who can set up the systems to run the world, the ones who understand human nature at a level that they know how to get at you, they know how to create armies, they know how to mass control, they know how to tax and build and create governments. None of them understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it's written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. 
you're in a little bit different realm here, aren't you? This is not eye stuff, ear stuff, and heart imagination stuff. This is coming from somewhere else. What God has prepared for those who love him. These things, verse 10 says, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in them. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God, right? My thoughts are not your thoughts. And you can be having your very best day and you will not comprehend my thoughts. But here he says, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. What is that? Words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, but they are words? Words have history. Words have context. Words came from somewhere. Yeah, well, not those words then. Words taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And then verse 14, this is a sobering verse. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they're folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. That's an interesting relationship Paul hints at right there. The natural person does not accept, not only does he not accept them, that stuff's weird and foolish. That's where he goes next. Right, so I think I wrote this in your outline, this paragraph of thoughts, humbling. Thus, the more natural-minded we are, the more we can be prone to labeling mysterious things as folly. The more I am bound to natural mindedness, the less inclined I am to embrace supernatural mystery. That's what he's saying here. So listen, there's a, there's a realm here in which the, the realm of the spirit has got some mystery in it. And I get the, the, the big mystery question in this gift of tongues is, it's like it kind of doesn't make sense. It's like, wait, so you're speaking in a language that you don't understand unless somebody interprets it. Well, why not just do away with that gift and just have the gift of interpretation? Just have that part because no one gets the tongue part anyway. And if you don't understand it, right? So if I'm sitting and I go in my prayer closet tonight and I sit down and I start praying in tongues and 15 minutes later, I haven't understood a word I said. Isn't that a big waste of time? If all I got is natural thinking, that is a big waste of time. But what if God has made known to me that there is this mysterious exchange between me and him that's taking place by the spirit. And one of the ways, not the only way, one of the ways that that happens is through speaking in tongues. And that exchange involves some kind of content that I can't fully explain, but that it's involving prayer and praise and thanksgiving and extolling the great things of God. And that is being expressed from me by the Spirit. Is that all you can explain, Keith? Yeah, pretty much. 
And out of that limited amount of knowledge, God expects the Apostle Paul to be able to say, hey, you know what? That's so valuable. I pray in tongues more than you all. I pursue this gift because I accept from God that there's something going on when this happens that is affecting me and that is communicating something to God that matters to God. So yes, I want to use this gift and I want to use it appropriately, right? I don't want to come into a meeting where no one can understand me and just bust out this gift and no one understands that unless there's an interpreter and then it's fine to use that gift. But let me, let me just add this to your arsenal. We'll close in prayer. Um, if you're going to be a person who is going to go very far in a prayer life, you're going to need a lot from the Bible for that to happen. Right? So when you engage prayer, you're going to need to know, what does the Bible say about this prayer thing going on between me and God? Well, it's, it's more multifaceted than you may be giving it credit for. And this is a facet of it. Right, so Paul says, praying with all kinds of prayer to the Ephesians, all kinds of prayer. So there are more than one kind of prayer? Yes, there is. And he even lists some there. He lists some in Timothy. It's just petitions, supplications, requests, intercessions, thanksgivings, praise. Right? These are all kinds of prayer. But, but have you thought about these kinds of prayer? Have you thought about 1 Corinthians 14 kinds of prayer? I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with my understanding. Moments in my own prayer closet where I pray to God in a language I don't know and don't understand, but I do it out of the value that is presented to me in these passages. Romans chapter 8 presents an interesting awareness of prayer. I'm, I'm probably as aware of this verse as I am of any verse when I go to pray. I start in Romans chapter 8 with the Apostle Paul saying, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us in our weaknesses with groanings too deep to be uttered. So the Holy Spirit is in us interceding in Romans chapter 8. Is that speaking in tongues? I'm not sure. I would probably from the language say it's probably not. But it is some expression of the Spirit that's coming through my antenna. <laughs> It's being broadcast by the Spirit to God, and it's an intercession of things that I don't even know what's being said, but it is occurring. All right, so when I go put, climb in my prayer closet, and you do this this week, use every ounce of prayer that the Bible has made available to us in that prayer. When we come to pray, September 16th, we're together praying. Use appropriate prayers for corporate gatherings in that moment. If it's the gift of tongues, it needs to be interpreted. If it's prophetic insight, it needs to be given, right? But we, we need, our prayer closets need, we need this power. Remember, these are the last days. You are going to face terribly difficult times that come against your faith. This builds up. Remember the command in Jude 20, building yourselves up in the Holy Spirit and praying in your faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. I need this kind of building up. Right? It should make every one of us eager to desire these gifts, particularly this gift that we talked about today of speaking in tongues. Let's stand up together and pray.
Father, this teaching and this section, there's a lot there, is full of mystery, Lord. It's things that we could look at and in our human reasoning, we could find multiple reasons why that's just not important or I'm not even sure it's being done correctly. It's too easily misunderstood. Or we have reasons for this to just get put on a shelf. But you had reasons to have the Apostle Paul recorded in such detail. And you had reasons for him to tell us a little bit about his own personal experience in this category. And Lord, would these truths, these powerful truths, awaken our soul to respond the way in which Paul is calling us to respond to desire earnestly spiritual gifts. And so, Lord, for many who are here this morning, many who are watching, perhaps this is a gift that's uh, just not been a part of their walk with you. This has maybe been a gift to be avoided for reasons that they've heard. God, only you can lead us into this mystery. Only you can impart to us these types of gifts. God, I pray, I do, I pray, because we are to desire these gifts that you would have more and more of us function, particularly in our prayer closets, but in our own quiet times with you, that we would see this gift given to us means something for our own soul, but for you as well. That we would exercise this gift, that there may be things as the Spirit is interceding and as he is communicating as well through gifts of tongues, that we are saying things to you that matter to you about who you are and your greatness and all that you've done and all the reasons for thanksgiving. God, I'm reminded, Lord, of how unthankful I can be in prayer. Spend so much time worried about so many things. Good to know, Lord. I pray in the Spirit. I may be giving thanks to you for a thousand things that I needed to have my heart give thanks to the living God for. So, Lord, thank you for these gifts. Lord, empower them in us. Awaken them in us. Let them be used orderly and for your glory and for our good. In the days ahead, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week. All right. Make sure you mark September 16th. Those of you guys at home, put it on the calendar. September 16th, 7 o'clock PM. Want this room full calling out to God for some major things happening around us in our world and in our church. Love you guys. Miss you much.